And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. My name is uh, John Mathai. If we haven't met yet, I get the honor and privilege of serving here as the Next Gen Pastor. And also get the honor and privilege of bringing a message to you today from uh, God's Word. And I believe the message that, that we're going to hear today really holds a key uh, to, to us helping the next generation win. I've, I've entitled this message simply, Helping the Next Gen Win. And if we're going to help them win, because I'm sure you guys have heard all the statistics about Gen Z, but if we're going to help them win, we're going to have to get back to the words of Jesus and back to the mission that he's actually given us if we're going to be successful at helping pass down the faith to the next generation. Uh, but before we dive in, I want to just press pause and let's take a moment and pray together. And if you've, you've been at Evangel any length of time, you're, you're probably familiar with this prayer, but I want you to really think about the words and let's pray that God would do. Uh, what only he can do and then give us the courage uh, to respond to that because we don't want to just be hearers of the word today. We want to be doers of the word as well. So let's, let's pray with uh, together this prayer. Uh, Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I look around the room uh, today, and re really think about who's here and uh, seeing multiple generations. And even if you're joining us online, I can't help but th to think that you're here because of somebody else. Like you're here because of somebody else, because somewhere so in your journey, somewhere along the way, someone cared enough about you to invest in you relationally, to invest in you spiritually, to share Jesus with you. And so here you are because of somebody else's influence. In fact, as we begin today, I, I just want you to, to think back to when you were what was considered the next generation. Um, for me, I, like I'm looking at Jeremiah, I'm like, oh, I, I'm not that much older than him, man. Like, but then I hear when he was born and I'm like, wow, I'm like, I'm old. I'm twice his age now. Like, doesn't seem that long ago. But if you can remember back to when you were considered the next generation, I want you to just think of at least just one person that influenced you in your faith journey. And, and, and if you're a student right now, think of someone who is influencing you currently, who's inspiring you to love and follow Jesus currently. Just bring that person to mind who influenced you in your faith journey. You got that person in mind? All right, I want you to invite you to, you to turn to your neighbor and just real quick, just say the name of that person that influenced you in your faith journey. Just turn and say the name. Now, I wish, wish we had uh, time to go around the room and hear everyone's story about that person or those persons that has influenced you spiritually, that, that God providentially put in your life to help influence you to, to love and follow Jesus. But unfortunately, in, in this type of environment, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have time um, to be able to go and hear everyone's story. But the point is this, and what I want us to remember is this, is that God uses people to point us to Jesus and help us grow spiritually. God uses people to point us to Jesus and to help us grow spiritually. And as I, as I think back on, on my life when I was considered part of the next generation, I think about the, the people, and more specifically, yeah, like the adults, the godly adults in my life who loved Jesus, who cared about me, and who intentionally showed up for me 
and invested in me both relationally and spiritually. And some of the first people that come to my, my mind is my parents. I was telling the students, the youth on Wednesday, they didn't get this joke, but I told them I'm, I was a drug baby. Every, every Sunday morning, Wednesday, Sunday night and Wednesday night, my parents drugged me to church. Every time the doors open, I was drugged to church. You know, but, but, but my parents taught me that church is important, that coming together with the people of God and worshiping together is important. They made church a priority in my life. Even if I had a baseball game going on or I wanted to go spend the night at a friend's house, if there was church going on, the answer was no, we were going to church. And it was on a Sunday night when they drugged me to church that I realized for the first time that I was lost that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And that night, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and to make me in right relationship with God. Because they prioritized church and they made sure that I was there. I think about when I was a teenager and I had a Bible teacher that taught me how to study the word of God. Not just read, but study the word of God. And it's funny because he didn't even know he was influencing me. Like in high school, I was the quiet kid who just sat there in the back and didn't talk to anybody. It's like half asleep in all the classes. But he taught us, and, and, and this skill of studying the word of God still continues with me today. I, I called him a few months ago, and I was like, I know it's been like 20 years, but I just wanted you to know that you've made a big impact in my life. And he, he was like, really? I, did? I didn't even know. See, sometimes we're making an impact and influencing people to follow Jesus. We don't even know it. It's just we're living our lives in a way that's honoring to Christ. We're following Jesus with everything in us and we're making a difference and an impact in those around us. Because I can promise you, somebody is watching you. Somebody is watching you. And then I think about my youth pastor into my senior year, encouraging me to go to youth camp one more time. Because when you graduate high school, you get to go to camp one more time usually. And so I went to that camp and it was on the last night of that camp that I gave up my dream of playing baseball for middle Georgia. And I surrendered to God's call on my life to go to Christian college and go into full-time ministry. And I could tell you story after story after story about the adults who loved Jesus, loved me, and, and took what they had and invested in me spiritually. And I don't know where I would be if it wasn't for them. I don't know what I would be, where I would be. I probably wouldn't be standing up here speaking you, to you today. And I don't even know if I'd be a, a follower of Jesus if it wasn't for their influence. And as I think about the, as I think about, <laughs> voice cracking there, as I think about the next generation, man, I, I just keep thinking about how critical it is for them to have adults who love Jesus and who care enough about them to invest in them relationally and spiritually, to pass down what God has taught them and shown them to the next generation. And unfortunately, to be quite honest, you guys probably know this, but the church as a whole, like the capital C church, we haven't been doing a good job of this. We haven't been doing a good job of this. In fact, um, 
depending on what studies you read, about 75% of students, once they graduate high school, they leave the church. Many of them just leave the faith. I mean, can you imagine, like looking at the kids in here, three, uh, statistically, three out of every four, as soon as they graduate, disappear. They're gonna be gone. And I think a lot of the problem is that we've assumed the gospel. We've assumed they know the gospel, that it's just gonna kinda, by osmosis, they're gonna pick it up. We've assumed that the, the pastors, the youth pastors, the children's pastors, they'll take care of the discipling the kids. And when a generation assumes the gospel, the next generation forgets the gospel. They don't even know the gospel. I, I think this is why Barna has found that only 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. This is the first generation, and by the way, Gen Z, if you have a student anywhere between like three and 20 years old, that's, that's what we're talking about, that's Gen Z. And this is the first full-fledged post-Christian generation in American history. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be part of helping to flip the script on all these statistics. And instead of harping on the problems, we wanna be part of the solution to the problem. Because I believe in this next generation. And I, and I promise you, if there is any generation poised to bring a revival to our country, it's gonna be this next generation. It's gonna be this next generation. Because I believe that God wants to pour out his spirit in a fresh way to use this generation to, to turn the world upside down for his kingdom and to bring revival across our nation. And we're gonna see a move of God like we've never seen before in our lifetimes. But it's not just gonna happen just because we say it, it's gonna happen. If it's gonna happen, then you and I are going to have to stop playing church. We're going to have to stop going through the motions. And we're going to have to start pursuing Jesus with everything in us. And we're going to have to get refocused on the mission, which many of you know is the Great Commission. And we're going to have to get refocused on that and take it seriously. And that's got to be what we, what, what, what like our mark of success is going to be. And if you want to know what our, our students and our kids' ministries are going to be about, it's, it's going to be like the bullseye is what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be this mission that Jesus gave us, and I believe this holds the key for us to help the next generation win. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives what I believe must once again become our first priority if we're going to help the next gen win. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And this is uh, probably a, a pretty familiar passage to you, especially if you've grown up in the church, as it's, people entitle it, the Great Commission. That's kind of the final words of Jesus before he leaves this earth. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in, in the context that I grew up in, we, we would hear this passage and it always had to do with, you know, these missionaries that were going to be sent overseas to go share the gospel. So this is for them, not for us. If we want to play a part, we just have to write a check. We don't actually have to do anything. We just write a check and the missionaries go do all the work. 
But as you're about to see, this, this isn't just about missionaries. This is about everyone in here who considers yourself a follower of Jesus. This mission is for all of us. And so Jesus is about to leave this earth, but before he leaves, he calls one more team huddle with his disciples. And he's gonna give them the final game plan that's ultimately gonna change the world. And here we are 2,000 years later because these disciples put into motion this game plan and we're still talking, here we are 2,000 years later, followers of Jesus, it's wor- it, like it works. And this also is gonna be God's plan A to reach the next generation as well. Like this, if we're gonna reach the next generation and flip the script of the statistics, this is gonna be the strategy. This is what we're gonna have to focus on. This is like, we're not back there just to entertain your kids and your students. This is what we're focused on. We're focused on this mission right here. And so let's pick it up in Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, because that's what disciples do. Disciples listen to the voice of Jesus and they do what he says. If you want to know what, what, what a follower of Jesus, like what the normal Christian life looks like in a nutshell, it's listening to the voice of Jesus doing what he says. Listening to the voice of Jesus doing what he says. The answer is yes before we even hear what he says. It's complete surrender. And so these disciples are listening to the voice of Jesus and they're going to go do and what he says, what he says. Imagine if the next generation looked at us And they saw parents and grandparents and caretakers and teachers and administrators and adults who claim to be followers of Jesus living this lifestyle of listening to the voice of Jesus, listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what he says. And it's like, man, that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It's not optional. Like you listen to his voice, you obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. That's God's love languages, love language, obedience. And so the disciples are obeying Jesus and doing what he says. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, this is interesting because after, after all they've seen, they're worshiping Jesus, but some doubted. I have to say that Church, we got to be a place where, where, where our kids, where our students, where even other adults can come and worship Jesus and where they can express their doubts. If we're going to help the next gen win, we got to give them a safe space to worship Jesus and to be able to express their doubts. See, students don't leave the faith because they have doubts. They leave the faith because they have unexpressed doubts. And so they're not able to talk about it in this environment and work through it. So then they go off to college and they talk, about, they talk with really smart professors who are like atheists and it just, it doesn't take much and, and a kid's faith just comes crashing down. And so we've got to create safe spaces where kids and students and even other adults can come and they can worship Jesus, yes, but they can also express their doubts and we can work through those things with them. Now, here's the question. What exactly are the disciples doubting? Have you ever wondered about that? What what are they doubting right now? Because they've, they've literally spent three years with Jesus. 
He's predicted his death, burial, resurrection. He pulled it off. I don't know that they're doubting that he's who he says he is. I think they've got a hunch and they know that he's about to leave because he's been saying this for a long time, but now the, connect, the, the dots are starting to finally connect. And now they've got a hunch that it's going to be on them to carry on his mission. And I think they're doubting in their own ability to pull this off. I think they're thinking, man, if Jesus leaves, how are we going to do this? I don't think we have the ability to do this. And Jesus is going to address this soon. And we'll come back to this later. But first, Jesus wants to make sure that he gives them the game plan. And so uh, verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority and on heaven and on earth. And Jesus is about, this is interesting because Jesus, this is the only command that Jesus prefaces with the fact that he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In fact, you could say this is the only command that Jesus has authorized his church to accomplish. Like this is the bullseye. If the church is going to be focused on anything, it shouldn't be on the little things that we disagree with and, oh, we don't like how they, they do it and this is, you know, that's too loud and that's too soft and I don't like the way, like that's not what we're focused on. We're focused on the mission that Jesus gave us. And Jesus's final words, I can just imagine the disciples like, you know, sitting on the edge of their rocks or whatever they're sitting on. You know, they're like, they're like waiting. They're like, okay, what's Jesus going to say? Because he's about to give them his final words, which is going to become their first priority and which is now to be our first priority as his followers. And then Jesus gets into it. Verse 19, he says, therefore go and make Christians. That's not what he says. He says, go and make disciples. See, it's easy to be a Christian today, especially in America. Like you can be a Christian and not actually follow Jesus. It's like, yeah, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. But it doesn't even change the way you live your life at all. Like that doesn't even make sense. Or you could just like, yeah, I go to church and Christmas, Easter, other special occasions. I'm a CEO, so I'm a Christian. Like that doesn't even make sense. It's just this Christian is just this broad term everyone throws around. In fact, um, the name Christian, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the, the Christian is only used twice in the Bible. And it's not used by followers of Jesus. It's used by people who hate followers of Jesus. And they're like, yeah, those Christians over there. And they called them Christians over there because these were a group of people that lived their lives like Christ lived his life. But it's crazy because now you can consider yourself a Christian and your life looks nothing like Jesus. So Jesus doesn't use the word Christian. He uses the word disciple because that gets much more specific. See, a disciple, if you study this culture... Jesus wasn't the only rabbi who had disciples. This was pretty common in his day. And so, so if you were a disciple and you had a rabbi, you would orient your life, reorient your life around three very specific goals. And that's being with your rabbi, becoming like your rabbi so that you can eventually be able to do what your rabbi did. 
And so disciples of Jesus would have understood this. And this is something that, that, that we've got to get back to is that when we're disciples of Jesus, we reorient our entire lives around three very specific goals. That's being with Jesus, number one. That's pursuing that intimacy with him. And as we go back to school and life is about to get more busier, I promise you, the two things that the enemy attacks the hardest is your intimacy with Jesus and your identity in him. When we get busy, the first thing to go is our time with God. Because the enemy knows if he can get you out of intimacy with God, not spending time with God, then you are absolutely powerless in the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to abide in Christ daily. And so we go after Jesus and make being with him our number one priority. It's intimacy with him. And so we're gonna be with Jesus. We're gonna prioritize our lives around being with Jesus and then becoming like Jesus. As we spend more and more time with him and in his word and in prayer, our minds start to be transformed. And we start becoming more and more like Jesus. This is actually God's will for us. It's, to, it's that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And so we're gonna be with Jesus, become like Jesus with the goal of doing what Jesus did. Now here's the cool part. Jesus told us that you're gonna do the things I did and you're actually even gonna do greater things than I did because you're gonna have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the order of this is important, by the way. We don't just go out and start doing what Jesus did. Where does it start? It starts with our intimacy. See, our fruitfulness flows out of our intimacy. And if you're not, like, like if you're a Christian and you're like, man, I, I just don't see the fruit in my life. Maybe, just maybe, you have an intimacy problem. Because our, our doing is supposed to flow out of our being. One of the preachers I listen to, he says, we're not doobies. We don't do to be. We be, and then that flows out of, and, uh, of us, and then our doing flows out of our being, out of our time with Christ. And so as disciples of Jesus, it starts with us. Like if we're gonna help the next gen win, it starts with us being a disciple who then makes disciples. That means if we're not ourselves, first of all, spending time with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things Jesus would do if he were you, then we're not winning, we're missing the mark. And there's no way we can make disciples and replicate. I actually, I don't, I don't know that, you know, a lot of people that attend church and, and call themselves Christians, and I don't know that we would want that replicated in the next generation. I think that's part of the problem. And if you're a student in here, there, listen, there's no junior Holy Spirit. You can do this too. Your goal, if you're a follower of Jesus, no matter whether you're five or 99 or however old you are, it's always be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things Jesus would do if he were you. You have the same Holy Spirit that's living in you that raised Jesus from the dead, that was living in Paul. God wants to use you to go to your school and make disciples. Now, I want to point out a, a few things here with this verse, uh, because a lot of times it's like, make disciples, where do I even start? And it's interesting because a lot of scholars, this, this, when Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples, 
is talking about being intentional, but a lot of scholars say that this word go in the original language has this idea of as you were going about your day-to-day life. So wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you hang out, wherever you go to church, be intentional about making disciples. That's where you start. You start by getting alone with Jesus and asking the Holy Spirit to put someone on your heart and to send someone that you can start sharing the gospel with and someone you can help start growing in in the faith with. And you think about those areas, you think about your neighbors, you think about your coworkers, you think about your your classmates, your teammates, the places you hang out, the, the regulars that you see and you visit, and this is the places you start. You ask God to kind of highlight, to show you who you should start intentionally investing in, relationally and spiritually. And if you want like low hanging fruit to start with, I think one of, the, one of the best places to start is to start serving in the next-gen ministry. I mean, as you're going to church, because you're going to, hopefully you're going to come to church anyways as a follower of Jesus, you're going to come to church, hopefully. And as you're going to church, you can be intentional about making disciples. You can be intentional about taking what God has given you and helping and passing it down to the next generation. Like that is an easy place to start. And so some of you, maybe like you, you, you love to hold babies and you're like, well, well how was that making disciples? Listen, when you're, when you're holding a baby, you know what you're doing? You're allowing a parent, a grandparent, a caretaker to come in and to worship Jesus and to grow in their intimacy with Jesus so that out of the overflow of that, they can then invest and pour into that kid. You can hold that baby and you can pray over that baby that the enemy would not have a foothold in his life or her life. You can pray over that baby that they would love and follow Jesus from an early age, that they would make wise choices. You can pray over that baby that God would use them to make a big kingdom impact. So when you're holding babies, you are helping make disciples. It's gonna take all of us to disciple the next generation. Or maybe you have a heart for kids, elementary kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers. And we said, like like I said it before, like we're not back there just to entertain your kid. We're like, we're not trying to out Disney, Disney. And we, you know, like, yeah, we want your kids to have fun. But at the end of the day, if we're not making disciples, we're missing the mark. I think when we stand before Jesus, he's going to ask us about the disciples we made. Not about how many cool events we went on. And so I think that's an that's a easy place to start. I gotta get, get moving here a little bit. So Jesus says to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of this. There's a lot built into this. And we know the baptism, you know, we get we water baptized and that's like a public profession of our faith. But this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's identity language. And so what the disciples would have understand is that yes, we water baptize out of a step of obedience to publicly identify with Christ. This also has to do with us helping immerse people in their new identity in Christ. 
And so we're baptized in the name of the Father who makes us family. Church, we're not like family, we are family. We're baptized in the name of the Son. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give my life for the many. And so we get to be servants as his followers. He says, in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills and sends us as missionaries. And so we are a family of servant missionaries sent by Jesus to make disciples. That's who we get to be in Christ. That's who we are in Christ. And so we're, 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 we're baptizing them, immersing them in their identity, and then teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Not just to know it, to obey it. And I really believe that in a world where there is no absolute truth, you do you, I do me, what you believe is fine, all roads lead to the same place, it doesn't really matter. And our kids are asking, what is true? You've got all these talking heads saying different things. What is true? How do you know who's telling the truth? And we've got to get back to, to, to teaching the word of God. We've got to help ground our students in the word of God because no matter, the culture might change, people's opinions can change, but the word of God never change. It stands forever. And so this is the foundation of our, of our truth this is why we prioritize teaching God's word at Evangel Church. In our kids' ministry, in our students' ministry, this is going to be our foundation. It would be a tragedy to give our kids 10 tips on how to be a cool kid or how to be a professional baseball player or how to get better grades, but then not ground them in the truth of God's word. You know, as I was thinking about this concept of disciples making disciples and the Olympics were on I started thinking about the Olympics and the first time I started really getting to the Olympics was 2008 anybody remember the 2008 Olympics probably the first thing that comes to your mind is Michael Phelps winning all those gold medals but you know something else that's interesting that we often forget about is in that the men's and women's four by 100 relay, the U.S. had dominated that event throughout the years. And both teams were favored to bring home the gold once again. But for the first time in the history of modern Olympics, neither team even made the finals. The reason why? Because they dropped the baton on the exchange. And so they didn't make the finals. And so as I'm thinking about this next generation, I'm afraid, church, that we have by and large dropped the baton of faith on the exchange to the next generations. This is why 4% of Gen Z has a biblical worldview. And so what we gotta do is we gotta pick up the baton And we got to say, all right, we're going to get refocused on the mission that Jesus gave us to go and make disciples. I'm going to take what I have, what God has given me. It might not be much, but I'm going to take what I have and I'm going to intentionally invest it into someone else. I'm going to intentionally pass on the faith to the next generation so that we can flip the script and so that we can see a revival come through. And maybe you're here and you're feeling like, I I really think God's calling some of you in here to start serving 
the next generation, to intentionally make disciples in the next generation. Like you want to be a part of that because they need godly adults who will show up consistently for them, who care about them, who will invest in them spiritually. And the simplest way to do that, I mean, you don't even have to commit to anything right now. I would love to have a conversation with you. And so there's cards in the back of your, on the back of the seats, you can scan the QR code and just fill out your information and say, help, help the next gen win. And we'll schedule a coffee or something and, and let's have a conversation. Or if QR, QR codes aren't your thing, I'd love to talk to you after the service. We'll, get, we'll exchange information and we'll set something up. And whether you're called to the next generation or you just realize, man, Jesus has called us all to go and make disciples. Like this isn't optional for us as followers of Jesus. You don't have to pray about a, a direct command of Jesus. Like it's not like, God, if it's your will, I'll go make it. No, it is God's will. It's clear. And maybe you're starting to wonder and feel like, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. Man, I don't know enough. What if I get asked a question that, that I can't answer? Do I really have what it takes? I don't know that I have the skills or the abilities to make a disciple, to invest in anyone and make a disciple. I don't know if I can do this. And you're a lot like the disciples were at the beginning of this passage. You're doubting. And Jesus knew that we would have a tendency to, fo- to make this about us and focus on us and what we can do. And so he gives them a promise. And I love this promise in verse 20. He says, and be sure of this. This is a promise. Our God is faithful to keep his promises. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, this isn't about what you can do. It's not about what I can do. It's about what Jesus can do through us. Jesus isn't looking for the superstar Christians. He's looking for followers of Jesus who are just surrendered. It says, whatever you, you, you say, Jesus, I'll do it. You want me to invest in the next generation? I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do it. You want me to invest in my neighbor? I'll do it. You want me to invest in a coworker? I'll do it. Whatever it is, Jesus, I'll do it. And you give Jesus the little you have and you watch what he can do through you. And then he gets the honor and the glory. So earlier I asked who, to think about you know, someone who, who invested in you spiritually, who influenced your, you on your faith journey. So now I want to leave you with this question, who are you intentionally investing in? Or in the words of Jesus, who are you intentionally discipling? Who are you intentionally discipling? Because I promise you, disciples aren't made by accident. It is an intentional thing that we've got to do. And if we want to help the next gen win, it starts with us living this thing out and making the decision to say yes to Jesus and getting refocused on this mission of making disciples. And I believe if we will do that, if we will surrender and and become not Christians, but but get refocused on being disciples of Jesus, if we will do that and we will do what's possible, God will do the impossible. And, and, and when we show up as disciples, committed to making disciples, then we can truly help the next gen win. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to worship you, 
in song, to worship you through your word. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness, not to just hear this message, but to actually go out and do this message, to apply it to our lives. Because we don't want to be a church that just listens to the word week after week after week. We wanna be known as a church that are doers of the word. You have promised to be with us when we are making disciples, when we are obeying you, that is when you are with us. So that I pray that you would inspire faith and courage in the hearts of every single person in this room and we would no longer settle for playing church, that we would go out and be the church and that we would make it our priority and our goal to go out and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the whole world knows you. Jesus' name we pray, amen. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.